As promised, I am thrilled to announce that our tickets for Australian True Crime Live are now available. Join me in Sydney, Brisbane and or Melbourne this July. You can come to all three if you want. These tickets are expected to go very quickly, so be sure to secure yours by visiting the link in our podcast bio or you can head over to the Australian True Crime Facebook page. There'll be a nice link there for you. Update for Brisbane Australian True Crime fans. Brisbane is almost fully sold out for our live show. If you've been a listener for any length of time, you'll know how passionate I am about true crime stories from Australia. I'm looking very forward to an incredible evening together with you, sharing these captivating tales. We will have great guests as well, so, you know, we love a Q&A. If you've ever come along to an Australian true crime live gig, you'll know we love a Q&A with our guests. Don't miss out. Book your tickets today, and I'll see you in July for a memorable night out. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. The producers of this podcast recognize the traditional owners of the land on which it's recorded. They pay respect to the Aboriginal elders past, present and those emerging. The following podcast contains content of a graphic, violent nature and is not suitable for children. To be honest, she's actually trying anyway. Like since this fight has been spoken about, she pushed it aside. They put in exemption requests to fight someone else. They don't want to fight me. So now... The fight's happening and she's just trying to anything she can do to, to either upset me or to get out of the fight still, I would assume. 
That's Shotgun Shannon, also known as Shannon O'Connell. She's Australia's preeminent female boxer, and she's off to the UK shortly to fight Ebony Bridges for the world bantamweight title. Now look, Ebony's been talking some shit about Shannon. To be fair, Shannon's talked a bit of shit about Ebony too, but that's boxing, right? One thing that's absolutely true though is that Shannon's toughest opponent is her childhood. She fights it every day, as do her two brothers, with varying degrees of success. We were introduced to Shannon by a previous guest, Russell Manser, from the voice of a survivor. He likes to say that boxing has saved more lives than church, and Shannon is definitely one of them. What do you think life was like for you up until the age of two? You lost your dad at two, and and it seems to me, from the little that I've been able to learn about you, it seems to me that everything changed at that point. What do you think, what what have you gleaned life was like before that point though? Look, my mum lived a troubled life. Like she was gang raped when she was 15 and fell pregnant. And and I mean, she, she had an, a, a, I don't know whether she miscarried or had an abortion, but I mean, she never had a great life. There was, there was always something. She was just that person that she, there was always something. My mum was married before my dad um she had two like I've got two older brothers brothers that aren't my dad's and he was not so nice to her he used to it was horrible to her so um my me and my brother who has a different dad we're only 18 months apart so I think it all happened really quickly for her and she was it was like he was her knight in shining armor and I do believe I don't know facts but I do believe that she wasn't overly nice to him she loved him and she wanted him but she didn't know how to accept that he was a good person because she'd never had good people in her life. Even my grandparents, her, her parents, they were divorced and, and there was a lot of abuse there. And my nan was a beautiful woman, but they're all that bit crazy. Um, like there's there's a bit of craziness in, in that whole side of the family. She just grew up not knowing how to accept happiness. And my dad was this perfect human. And so she didn't know how to accept him. And so she is like she had him, but she pushed him away. Yeah. And then, so what happened? Um, how'd she lose your dad? My dad was a speedway rider, so he died on the track. I actually found out a lot, a lot of years later that um, my dad, my mum was, they must have busted up. My mum was sleeping with someone else and, and it happened to be someone else that was a, a speedway rider. And he pulled out of the race because my dad found out. He pulled out of the race and the guy that stepped in into his spot for that race that my dad died in is the guy that caused the accident I mean didn't cause the accident but he was in an inexperienced rider so the the guy that filled in for the guy that my mum was sleeping with caused the accident so I guess he there was a lot of guilt everyone was living with uh, it was hard to deal with for everyone I mean even even the guy that caused the accident actually reached out to me maybe 10 years ago and he was like scared to reach out to me but I mean I told him it, it wasn't his fault like you know but yeah the guy, the guy that pulled out, I think, hung himself. Oh, babe. God, what a tragedy. From your earliest memory, there's a lot of tragedy going around. Yeah, well, I actually didn't know about that side. I mean, there's probably a, still a whole, a whole bunch of other stories. I don't really know the ins and outs of, but I, I only found that out maybe 10, 10 years ago. But there must have been a, a sort of a, a shadow of tragedy that you felt. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my mum sort of, I guess, played the whole her husband of a perfect marriage died in a speedway accident in front of her eyes. Like she was there. My 
grandparents were also there. They they all saw it. They were all a very big part of the speedway in Adelaide, and they all witnessed my dad's accident. Gosh, that's awful. So then your early childhood, you know, we know now and we talk a lot about how much of our personalities are formed in those first five to seven years by the environments that we're living in. So describe that for us. What was the environment you were in in those years? Uh, it wasn't a great one. I grew up, there was people in and out of our house. Um, my mum was, she was a mess. She was, I think, to start with, she turned to alcohol, then, you know, pretty much anything she could get her hands on to help her forget. She ended up becoming a heroin addict. And also she used to take a lot of sleeping pills and and all those, that, like literally everything, anything she could get her hands on. So we had a lot of people in and out of our house that should never have been there. There was a family at the Speedway and they sort of latched on and owned her. Once those kind of people are in your life, it's really hard to get rid of them. I mean, not that she was strong enough to really even do that. But yeah, they were pretty much in and out of our house all the time, like looking for drugs. So like one of them was in jail. He was in and out of jail. But they used to come and, and they, were, they, were, they were crazy. They, like our house was kind of like, I guess you could say it was, it was a party house, but it wasn't much of a party because my mum was always passed out. I guess, you know, when people say, oh, drug addiction, to me, there's different types of drugs, drug addictions. Like you could be a drug addict and still go to work every day. You could be a drug addict and, and enjoy it. My mum was a drug addict because she was trying to make her life go away. Yeah. Like she was, she was hiding her pain. Yeah. She wanted to be out of it, literally out of it. Yeah. I remember one time we moved to a new house and she went down to the corner store, probably to buy cigarettes or something, and she was that person that, they just flocked to and straight away we're in a new suburb, never been there. Someone walked up to her and asked her, if she, do you know where I can get a hit? I guess I, she was my mum. I seen her every day, but to other people, you could just look at her and know she was a junkie. My, my oldest brother was also, um, yeah, but he was five years older than me and he was not hanging around the best crowd, getting in, in, in trouble. And our house was the place that they all went. So there was a lot of younger like teenagers as well around our house. Any youth detention for your brothers or jail time? Yeah, my oldest brother did a, a little bit of youth detention. Probably not as much as he should have. He got away with it. But. <laughs> but but honestly, it's probably to be expected given his childhood, really. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, everything, I, I sort of like, I'm the type of person that tries to look at it from other people's point of views. And I think most of the things that I went through at a younger age, he was older. Like, I mean, there was one time, people tried to break into a house looking for drugs and my mum got stabbed. She went outside, idiot, went outside with her own little pocket knife and got stabbed with her own knife. And my brother at the age of 10 had to pull the knife out of her stomach. The, whole, the ambulance said if he didn't do that, she would have died. So I think for me, obviously it was horrible, but he had to pull a knife out of his mum. Like, yeah. And he also was a lot older when my dad died. So he had that more of a relationship with my dad where he's got real memories. Most of my memories are stories that people have told me. Yeah, no, I look at your brother's situation from the perspective of almost like from an academic perspective and I think, yeah, I'd be shocked if he hadn't done some time. Yeah. Well, as an adult, he, he, like, he's, doing, he's doing pretty good, but you know, as a teenager, from the age of about 13 through to about 16, 17, he was in trouble. There was part of this family that sort of were in and out of our house. Um, I, I remember one time they knocked on our door, the, a guy and a girl, they were brother and sister, and they were looking for drugs. And 
and the way they were back then, I guess it's it's a little different to the way like bikies are now. Um, they didn't really do much in front of kids and elderly. So they, I answered the door and they said, go upstairs. So I remember I was about six hiding in a cupboard and all I could hear was my mum screaming because they were trying to find Rohypnol of all things. Um, and she didn't have any or she, or she was telling them she didn't have any. So they pretty much trashed her house and, and bashed her until they were found, able to find something. And my mum later blamed me because she, she basically said, if you didn't go and hide upstairs, they wouldn't have done it. That same guy sexually abused me and probably about a year later to be honest I don't even know like I I it was horrible I was in my mum's bed I just remember just laying there and just like tense as anything and just go away go away like my eyes were shut like my everything I was just like stiff yeah it wasn't nice and it was that same same family were was there were there any adults around who, who were noticing and trying to intervene? Your grandparents, any aunts and uncles, neighbors, teachers? My gra- my grandparents were they were like my saviors. That I'm sure if it wasn't for them, I'd be either dead or in jail myself. Mm. But they didn't know that. No one knew that because the way we were all raised is my brothers because I and especially for me because my um, I didn't have my dad. My brothers were so protective of me. And I knew that if they knew what happened, I mean, it, it only happened the once, um, but if they knew what had happened, that they would have tried to protect me and I knew that they would get hurt. So I didn't tell anyone, not a single person. I was, it's only been like really the last few years that I've spoken out about it at all. And I, I mean, I would have been eight or nine years old and my brothers didn't know because they would have tried to protect me and they would have got hurt. So you were protecting them. Yeah, so we've, we've got this whole big protection thing that yeah. Yeah, it ended up being us one big secret. But to me, I mean, it, it was my brothers probably could one of them could have ended up dead. I like, yeah. I mean, it's, someone's hurting their little sister, and and what are they going to do? Like, one of them would have been if, if I was eight, he was ten, the other one was thirteen, and it was real. Like, my mum was so not in control that there's not she wouldn't have been able to do anything herself. Yeah, and people say to me now, like, was that hard? But as weird as it is, it. I just made it go away. I feel like sometimes, I mean, I'm not saying that anyone should suppress anything like that, but sometimes I think maybe if I'd dealt with it, I would have had to relive it so much more, whereas I just literally made it go away. I've, I've more had to relive it now. Yeah, that's the issue, mm. isn't it? I suppose now we would say to kids, tell a teacher, tell your grandparents. I mean, what, what year are we talking? I don't know how old you are. You, you look very young, but you're also very healthy, so I don't know. What, what it you... would have been about, about 1990. So it doesn't seem like long ago, but still, you know, did you feel, and you probably weren't going to school a lot, were you? No. Uh, like I'm, I was that kid that all the other parents felt sorry for and yeah. um, picked up to take places. And I moved to school. Every, we moved houses a lot to a point where, I used to ride my bike for an hour to get to school because I didn't want to move schools anymore. And so I did go, not enough, but then high school was where it was probably a bigger problem because my mum was so scared at times to be alone that I actually used to have to run away from home to go to school. And she used to chase me to the bus stop. I wasn't running away from home to, to do anything bad. I was wanting to go to school, but she was so scared of being like alone. Like I went on two school camps and both times I had to come home early because she tried to commit suicide. Oh, babe. At that point, 
I just think it wasn't even suicide. It was a cry for help because, you know, nobody that is really wanting to kill themselves does it and then rings the hospital and says, oh, if I take this, what? how long would it take to kill me? Well, they obviously trace the call and send an ambulance out. And that's what she did both times. Whereas the time when she did die, she didn't contact anyone. And how old were you when she did die? 23. I was living with my mum right up. Like I was sort of in and out a lot from the age of 13 because I'd go to my grandparents and I was in high school then. I was starting to get in trouble and do all the wrong things and they were a bit more strict. So every time they got strict on me or if I got in trouble and it wasn't okay with them, I'd just go back to my mum's and I could do whatever I wanted there. And then when it got too much, I'd run away and I'd bring my pop. They had a reverse charges phone number for me. So I'd bring him and he'd come and pick me up. And and I'd sort of went between, I mean, I, I did it. I did what a teenage girl does. I, I went between wherever was easiest for a while. Yeah. And then by the age of 15, I stayed with my grandparents. I then at one point I was staying at my cousin's house. And so I was at their house for her house for a week and my grandparents for a week. And then by 18, I was living on my own. You were obviously a lovable kid even though you, you know, went, went through your naughty phase because for family to say yes every time, take the charges, <laughs> come and pick you up, <laughs> you know, you were obviously still lovable and, and still, you know, a good person. I don't know about that. I don't know how lovable I was, but I do know that my grandparents are saints and I was my dad's only child. So they held on to me because that was what they had left of their, their son that died. I mean, I didn't, I didn't do anything bad with my grandparents. I, I, I still, to this day, don't even swear in front of my, my pop's past now, but I don't even swear in front of my nan. But I probably could have put them through a lot and they just would have, they would have been there regardless. They're, they're, my grandparents were saints. I finished year 11 and then I, I dropped out. I left year 11 into a job. Like I, I, I was never, on, like never doing nothing. I mean, a kid in your circumstances, it's amazing that you got that far. It really is, you know? Yeah. And also, yeah. I mean, did the school ever intervene? Because I think and I hope, and I know it doesn't happen everywhere, but these days you see a kid, you know, not not attending and they tend to this, there's some wellness coordinator somewhere who goes, oi, what's happening? Because now they get it that, that there's there's an issue. There are, there are broader issues going on uh, when a kid is struggling like that. But in those days, of course, they didn't think that way. Well, they didn't, but also I hit it pretty well. Um, yeah. I think I was just, I mean, I, I, I'm the first to admit I was a shit kid at school. I was i was that kid that was getting suspended, getting internally suspended, swearing at the teachers. That's what I mean. There's reasons for that. It's not. It's never kids aren't bad. There's reasons. <laughs> yeah, but I, I don't think the teachers really cared too much about what was going on with me. They just get rid of it. <laughs> Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I didn't talk to my mum for a long time. And when my older son, he was four months old, and I was asked to go back to work. And just randomly out of the blue, I asked my mum, to come up to Queensland and help me look after him because she was the only person that I knew that could just up and go. She'd at that point never even been on a plane in her life. So um, she came up and she helped me look after him. I didn't know at the time. She told me she was clean. Um, so I didn't know at the time that she was going through some really bad withdrawals. To me now, I can say how much of a strong woman she was because she was looking after someone else's kid that he probably cried all day until I got home. And she was going through some really bad heroin withdrawals. My son, he, he's a spitting image of my dad. And I think that for my mum, she looked at him and thought, my dad was back. So it was four months after that that she killed herself. And I think for her, I mean, it, it might sound, it's just my way of, I guess, being okay with it. For her, her meeting Cooper was, all right, I can go now. But I didn't talk to her for a lot of, a lot of, a long time before that. And my last conversation with her was having a go at her. She rang me because, I don't know, she did something. Someone, my brother was in the Philippines and she he was living with her and something happened. Someone stole his car and it crashed. And, and I was like, literally my last words to my mom were, for fuck's sake, why do you always ring me with a problem? And I hung up on her and that was my last words with her. And, and then I found out that, you know, obviously my brother, she was ringing my brother in the Philippines and he was like not happy because something happened to his car. So I think all of us had a go at her at some point. And then my oldest brother, he went around to her house. Um, she'd heard, he'd heard from her and then didn't hear from her for a couple of days. And I think she asked him something, if he could bring her around something and she, he didn't, he's like, yeah, whatever. And he went there and I think he went and bought her food or something and the door was unlocked and he walked in and found her dead with a needle in her arm. 
she was a heroin addict for a, a long time, like 20 years. She knew what she was doing. And it was the one time that she'd done it and not rang anyone. Her time was up and she, she wanted to be gone. So the same brother that pulled a knife out of her stomach when he was 10 years old, found her dead. I went through a lot of like depression myself. And a lot of that was me realizing that I'm a lot like my mother. Obviously, you know, I'm not a drug addict, but I'm, I've got this, this addiction of, of to, towards boxing and, and things like that. So I, I went through a stage where I thought, am I, are my kids going without, you know, fun time with me and, and McDonald's and, and, you know, all the things that normal kids do because of my boxing and am I turning out to be everything that I hated about my own mum? I mean, I don't hate my mum, but I hated things about her. And because she had, she was dead and I couldn't then tell her that I was sorry for all the hate that I'd given her and, and that I didn't forgive her for the things that she did, that put me into my own depression. And then I, and then I started thinking, am I, am I now passing it on? Are my kids going to end up where I am because I'm doing what my mum did and then I'm doing it to them and how are they how am I going to break this cycle and my only theory with that at the time was I was I'm just gonna take my own life and and I mean I, I did I tried um that's to me when people say depression's like weak it's not uh, there's a whole like I understand depression and I, I really didn't until I'd went through it myself and it made me feel worse than for not trying to help my mum more I mean I don't believe I could have done anything to help her, but, you know, she wasn't here for me to say, I understand. And that was hard for me to deal with. I really, and that's the thing that I think about depression is you're in another state of mind that people just don't understand. Like I honestly, like I, I actually did. I was in an induced coma for three days. You're numb. You're kind of emotionally numb. If anything, it's like, you're not thinking clearly. But I thought that I was, and I, I yeah. clearly was thinking my kids are better off without me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I really believe that. Now, their dad is a moron. So for me to think that, I was messed up. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It was actually my brother who rang me from jail. My brother that's just a little bit older than me um, rang me after I'd done it and he said, how do you think your Cooper, is, my son, is going to live his life knowing that his mum didn't care enough about him to stick around? Whereas I was thinking, he's going to live a better life if I'm not here to pull him down. And when, when my brother said that to me, I went, oh, shit. Like, he's not just going to wake up the next day going, oh, well, it's a new life now. Like, his mum took her own life and didn't care about him enough to stick around and teach him to do the right things. And since that day of, of my brother saying that, never thought about it again in my life. Or worse yet, you know, Cooper maybe however many years in the future thinking, oh, I should have been nicer to mum. Yeah, or my grandma did it, my mum did it, my turn. Having the same feelings as you were having, having yeah. feelings of guilt. How are your brothers? How are they going now? Um, my oldest brother, he's he's doing really good. He's, I mean, he's not even on social media, so um, excellent. he doesn't get caught up in all that sort of life. He's just being him. My, uh, my other brother is in jail. Okay. Has he got much to serve? Not sure. It's, he, hasn't been to, he hasn't been sentenced yet. I really struggle with my brother because being the older brother, he wants, he's the fixer. He wants me to think that he's perfect and, you know, oh, what's wrong? Like he'll ring me from jail and try and find my problems and solve them. And I'm like, oh. yeah, 
no, he's struggling, but he won't admit that to me. I mean, poor bugger. He became a drug addict in jail. Before that, yeah. he was he was clean, um, and I think that's what jail does to you. But it's taken over his life now. He's also his son has muscular dystrophy, and he struggles with that. But of uh, he's obviously struggling to see the fact that it get your shit together because then you can spend some time with your son that's struggling rather than yeah. being away from him. And then you know he's he's obviously not sure what his lifespan is going to be. So he's struggling, but he just won't let me help him. He reached out to me once and I, I, I flew to Thailand and, and spent some time with him. But even then it was just, oh, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Well, no, you're not. But you can't have that argument with your older brother because they're always right. Well, I guess he doesn't know how to be cared for because he wasn't cared for as a child. What you're talking about is so important because you're talking about the generational trap. Yeah. The generational trap of, of poverty, the psychological impact of these neighborhoods these places and it's not their fault it's it's about the lack of support for women like your mum the authorities not stepping in the school the doctor the all of those people not stepping in for kids like you and your brothers and so of course your brothers end up in jail and of course you end up with depression years later even though you have worked so hard to change your life to give your kids a different life what you have to talk about is so important and I'm so glad that you obviously didn't take your life like your mum. Yeah, I think for me, my biggest fear is failure. And I think that's why I, I lived for so long, so much of my life just trying to not fail. And it, it took, it was only a year ago that I went, actually, the only way I can fail is by doing something stupid like that. That's the only, like, other than that, like, I'm not killing it, but I, I put my kids through a, a good school. I've got a mortgage. I've got, I own my car. Like all those things my mum never did. So I am breaking the cycle. It just took a long time for me to realise that I was doing that. Babes, you're doing things most, um, maybe most people are not doing. Like you're really honestly killing it. Like not even just compared to your mum. Like you're really doing such a great job. It's funny because something, little things that I've done for my kids, like they went to a, a private primary school and it was the same school from prep to year seven. Yeah. and. That to me that that made me proud. For other people, it's like big deal. Yeah. That made me proud. Like my my son had braces. Like my daughter's got braces now. My son had braces, and I went. That this is a proud moment for me. My mum would never have taken me to the dentist. <laughs> I know, just to get them to the dentist every year. Or, yeah, I yeah. know what you mean. Those little things. Hey, like I was excited to pay six thousand dollars for these braces. <laughs> Russell Manser, who you know brought you to us, his saying is boxing has saved more lives than Jesus. So you, I guess you're one of them. 100% I'm one of them. One, like 100 million percent I'm one of them. If I didn't find boxing, I like I wouldn't like to think where I'd be at. I, I definitely wouldn't have my three beautiful children. I'd probably, well, I'd still be in Adelaide and I'd probably be dead or in jail. So explain that to us. Most of us don't understand that. Some people hate boxing. Some people think it's just, you know, punching on. Explain to us what it was that first captured your imagination and and made you love it? Well, my, my grandparents actually took me down to the local boxing gym near their house. And the guy that owned that gym, Terry Fox, he used to race Speedway with my dad. So obviously, as soon as I walked in the door, he was open arms, come in. Like, you know, he, I think he even nearly cried. I guess boxing, majority of people that come at, that are successful in 
kickboxing have had bad stories because it's hard. Boxing's hard and you've got to go through, you've got to have that toughness and that dig your heels in kind of grit to get through it. And I guess for me, it was the challenge of it, how hard it was. And I mean, not everybody looks at like, looks at it that way. Some people get through and, and especially these days, I think it's, it's very different. But for me, I'm, I'm a very old school, like the way I, I train. And, and to me, it's how hard it was, is how it got me addicted is because it was so challenging. And, and for me, everything about my life was so challenging. So it, I was drawn to it. I can see your discipline to look at you. Whereas you grew up in such an undisciplined environment. You grew up in a schmozzle, in a mess. Whereas I can look at you and everything about you is tight, disciplined. Yeah. I can see you're on top of life. Yeah, I guess that I never really thought of it that way, but you're definitely right. It is. It's a control thing. I'm in control. You Actually, you might understand, but a lot of people look at me like I'm insane when I say this, but the way I train, it's almost like my form of self-harm. Obviously, I, I like to be healthy. I am healthy, and, and but it's more like I'm punishing myself and it's my way of coping is by inflicting pain on myself and me doing that is training because I really do. Some people say I train insane. <laughs> I, I get something in my head and I have to do it or I have to beat it. And, and it's not even about being competitive against someone else. It's about being competitive against myself and punishing myself and seeing how far I can push myself. And it's not even really a, a form of, I'm, I don't want to be a drug addict, so I'm going to exercise. It's, it, that's my addiction. Probably in the last 12 months, I've, I've stopped living such a negative, everything that drives me is hate and anger. So I actually like myself now. So there's no need to, to harm myself. But probably for majority of my, I've been nearly been boxing for 20 years. So probably about 19 of those years was self-harm. What, what changed in the last 12 months? That's quite recent. Just over a year ago, I, I fought and it was a fight that I didn't want to fight. There was a lot of, a lot of trust issues came up with my current team in this prep for this fight. And um, I still fought and I won. And after that, I had, I had quite, I, I injured myself in the fight and I had quite a major surgery. So it sort of gave me that point to step back. And um, I, I had a falling out with my old team and someone actually said to me, why don't you ring Glenn Jennings? And I went, because my last name's not Zoo, because he, he manages the Zoo Boys. He was in like with um, Costa and his career, Costa Zoo, and then um, he manages Tim and Nikita. Um, I mean, Tim is, I would say, the biggest name in Australian boxing right now. I mean, he's only ever managed those three boys, and my last name is not Zoo. So when someone said to me, give Glenn Jennings a ring, I was like, why? Well, you don't want to talk to me. And then I went, you know what? Stuff it. I'm just going to, all he can do is say no. So I rang him and straight away, I, I didn't know that he had three daughters. I, did, I didn't really know much about him at all. Um, but straight away, he asked me a few questions and he was completely shocked at my answers about, you know, support, sponsorship, what I was getting paid, anything like that. And he just straight away, yeah, we're going to do this because you deserve it. He spoke to Matt Rose, who's No Limit Boxing, and they said, yep, Definitely, if you want her part of the team, she's part of the team. And and um, I think he was out to dinner with Tim and Tim said, yep, do it. And yeah, it's been since November last year, everything has just, my whole world has just changed. Everything that Glenn has done, it's just been, it's been amazing. And and his daughters are, are great to me. I met his wife recently. She's a beautiful lady. Um, you know, they're, they're just good people. When I meet people like that, and also a, a few years ago, I met Lyndon Hosking, who has been a great support as well. And you know, he helped me start up my own my own gym and things like that. And 
when I've met people like that, there's not not many people like that left in I think in the world, but let alone boxing. It's just made me go. There are still people out here that remind me of my the what I've been told my dad was like. Do you see a next thing for you? I'd love to be able to help um, struggling youth. Like I've always I've always said right from the start, if if I can tell my story or share my story and help just save one person's life, then everything that I went through was worth it because I got through it. So you know, I, I, I was able to save my own life. So if I could help just save one person's life. And I mean, even having my own gym, I, I had a lot of people that I didn't even know were going through some struggles and messaged me and said, you know, I was on the verge of suicide and, and having that gym there helped me. And I'm not here to motivate everyone. I, don't, I, I really don't care if some people don't like me. I am, I'm so real that I, I'm not fake. I don't have a fake bone in my body. I can't be fake. I, I, if you don't like me, that's fine. But the people that will like me and and in like draw to me are the people that have struggled and they're the people I want to help I actually like myself now I've lived this life full of proving everyone wrong and and I'm not my mum and I'm not this and I'm gonna I'm gonna make my dad's name name proud again because my mum dragged it through the dirt and it's in the last 12 months I've realized that I've done that so now I'm doing it for me and and I actually I'm happy with who I am for the first time probably in my life Thank you to our guest, Shannon O'Connell, Shotgun Shannon. She fights Ebony Bridges for the World Bantamweight title in Leeds on December 10. You can send her a good luck voicemail message via our Facebook page or the link in the show notes and we'll definitely pass it on. And thank you for downloading this episode of Australian True Crime, recorded at a Hub Australia media studio. HubAustralia.com. Find the workspace that's right for you. This has been another Smartfella production in conjunction with the Acast Creator Network. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? 
Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. As promised, I am thrilled to announce that our tickets for Australian True Crime Live are now available. Join me in Sydney, Brisbane and or Melbourne this July. You can come to all three if you want. These tickets are expected to go very quickly, so be sure to secure yours by visiting the link in our podcast bio or you can head over to the Australian True Crime Facebook page. There'll be a nice link there for you. Update for Brisbane Australian True Crime fans. Brisbane is almost fully sold out for our live show. If you've been a listener for any length of time, you'll know how passionate I am about true crime stories from Australia. I'm looking very forward to an incredible evening together with you, sharing these captivating tales. We will have great guests as well, so, you know, we love a Q&A. If you've ever come along to an Australian true crime live gig, you'll know we love a Q&A with our guests. Don't miss out. Book your tickets today, and I'll see you in July for a memorable night out.